Hello, and welcome to Healing Challenge 2022. I am Dr. Rosina Bakari, your favorite empowerment expert here with none other, my fantabulous co-host, Dr. Stephanie Singleton. It is December. Yes, December. We have gotten to the end of the 2022 challenge and the beginning of 2023. And of course, Dr. Bukari is not ever one to disappoint. We are going out with a bang, okay? Because this session is how to capture the wellness of sexual energy. Okay, so I know you have your pen and paper out. You know, this is another one you're going to need to rewind. Um, Dr. Bakari, always good to see you. And yes. the first question that I have is, why is there a chapter on sexual energy in a book on healing? Well, that is a good place to begin. So the reason I thought it was absolutely crucial. And remember, my background is largely in supporting adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse and then being a survivor myself. So uh, I have looked at this issue a lot uh, in terms of the healing journey, but even aside, we're not talking again, like all of our other conversations, this is not just for or about survivors of childhood sexual abuse. That's just one, one portion of the population. I find these same innuendos in a lot, particularly of women. But make no mistake about it, this conversation is for women and men, because this is so important to get right. The reason this is in a chapter on uh, in a book on healing is because what I have found in conversations about healing and talking to people on the path is that people are comfortable healing everything, but their sexual selves. Counselors don't usually address it. Books don't address it. All these books on healing, and you will rarely see any of them address sexual energy when we talk about wellness, which is, I'm baffled by that. I'm baffled by how few conversations we have around wellness and healing sexual energy, unless we're talking about tantric sex, which is a whole different thing, but just healing our sexual energy as we heal ourselves. That is not a separate part of us. We get to heal all of ourselves. So I just wasn't willing to leave that on a table unaddressed. Why do you think that is though, that that's not, that sexual energy is not part of the conversation. Why do you think that is? Ooh, now that's a heavy question. Um, culturally, and, and not, I'm not talking about just American culture, but I mean, really world culture. We have um, done such, I will just say, horrific things around sexuality that it's no wonder that we are ashamed to have conversations about it. And I don't want to get into that today, but when you look at the sexual history, sexual abuse in humanity that has been going on for the longest time, it has become so perverted that we're even ashamed to have conversations about healthy sex. Even now, 
pornography, between pornography and, um, and human trafficking, multi-billion dollar industries that we don't know how to have well conversations about sex and sexuality. And that's why it's in this book and it's so important and so critical to heal. Wow, yeah, that definitely, that may be a 2023 challenge conversation right there and it all in itself, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now, and having said that, that's like the perfect segue into the next question that I have for you, which is, can physical intimacy be disempowering? And if so, in what ways? So again, it's connected to all the perversion that we have experienced globally around sexuality. And much of it has centered around disempowering the female in the experience where the experience has centered around male body parts and male pleasure. And so what's interesting is that um, uh, we are now openly beginning to talk about the orgasm gap. I've been talking about it for years, but we are now, you're now starting to have public conversations about the orgasm gap, which is basically that, um, that uh, fewer than 70% of women have orgasm on a, at all. And then even fewer, it drops fewer and fewer when you talk about on a consistent basis, right? Yet we know that men, over 90% of men have orgasm whenever they have sex, right? And so there's an orgasm gap and there's an orgasm gap for no reason. And, and it's not even that there's an orgasm gap. That's one problem. The bigger problem is that we've made it okay, that we've accepted it as the norm. Like if a man cannot orgasm, people know that's a problem. Like if you went to the doctor and said, if you were a man, go, oh, I mean, look at what, look at how we address um, uh, erectile dysfunction, right? We address that. But if a woman says, I'm not orgasm, in fact, a woman doesn't even oftentimes won't go to a, to a clinician to state that or whatever. But when that comes up, we just say, oh, well, all women don't orgasm, but they should. We are equipped to, we have the body parts too. Why don't all women orgasm? There's no physiological reason that suggests we should accept that as the norm. And so here's why that's important. It's a basic human physiological right to pleasure. Like it's basic. It's like eating. It's like going to the bathroom. It's like taking a shower. Like it's not that difficult. We all have a right to that basic expectation. It's about bodily autonomy. When you have convinced half the women in the world that they don't need or want something so basic, pleasure, basic pleasure. If you can convince me that I don't want or need or deserve basic pleasure, the rest of the control is a piece of cake. If I can control what you believe about your body, I can control the rest. So that's why it can be so disempowering. There are some heavy messages 
and how we relate to our body and then how our bodies relate to our mind. And when we disconnect from a basic experience, then we are positioning ourselves to be disempowered. That's really something because, um, yeah, you know, and I think a lot of times, like you mentioned, you know, with the, the just the gap between, you know, um, sexual pleasure and orgasm in, in, um, when it comes to sexual um, relations, you know, that that kind that kind of hit something I think for a lot of women and how a lot of women have been conditioned like you said well we have the right to pleasure but that's not the message that we've always got as as women over the years we are to provide pleasure right but not necessarily get it ourselves that way sexually right but, but think about it and this is what I want people to understand about the, the disempowerment. It's not just that, it's not just that intimate pleasure. We do the same thing. We, we've done the same thing with cooking. We've done it with childcare. We've done it like we've just constantly like shifted ourselves. And that shift to me, what if that shift all began with the absence of simple intimate pleasure? Like I said, if I can, once I convince, convince you of that, then convincing you that you're supposed to cook and clean and everything else, that becomes way easier. Mm. Once I determine what your body can and cannot experience, should and should not experience. Once I hold you accountable for what my body does while you do not hold anyone accountable for what happens to your body. When I get to control my body and your body, and I make you responsible for my pleasure. I mean, when you, that's the basis of all of it. That's the basis of it. That's you, you've just, I mean, that's a lot of power to give away. Mm, that yeah that is thank you thank you for this conversation yeah this is a really needed um conversation um yeah, because so, we because really is this the message that we want to keep handing down to our girls or our boys do we want to keep telling our young women that they are responsible for the pleasure of men and the absence of their own is that really the message that we want to pass down to our daughters anymore? Then we have to. Then we have to have conversations like this. And how? And I, I. And I'm also imagining that not having this conversation also impacts men, even though they right. But there's ways that it must impact them. Um, yes. Negatively as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Because men don't get the full pleasure. And if we talk about this, you know, this is how many men are conditioned to experience because they have, because that's the conditioning, right? Women do this and men do this and men conquer, and, you know, all this stuff doesn't make sense. And I, I feel sorry for men who will never experience the pure joy of having a woman 
totally lay in all her essence and give herself to a man in pleasure. So many men are conditioned to take, take, take. They will never experience the beauty of having a woman lay open to them in pure ecstasy that they create together. That's very different experience than when one person is hunting and conquering and stuff. And if that's what you want, I, I can't convince you otherwise. But I'm saying, I hope that men come to understand there's a very different beauty and explosion when two bodies cooperate. I mean, like cooperate. It's a different experience that most, that many men will never experience. They'll never have a woman lay open like that to them. Mm -hmm. And so, so that's their loss. Because the power that they think they get is way less than the power of what I just described. Hmm. So having, okay, so having said that, how do we know when we need to heal our sexual energy? So, yeah, that's a good question. So one, I mean, I would say mind the gap, right? Like take, I'm not saying you need a pencil and paper to count, but really mind the gap. Who, what does, what does, what, uh, what um, unspoken agreements are you, or roles are you working with when you engage in physical intimacy? What unspoken rules are you going by, right? And are you afraid to speak up and change the rules? Are you playing roles or are you having an intimate experience? Right. So that's one. If you're just playing out roles, gender roles, then chances are you may be disempowered because the gender roles really don't empower either person if it doesn't make both people feel good inside and out. All right. So I would say that. Um Another way is if you are hiding your sexuality, if you are wearing baggy clothes or undefined or undescript clothes because you don't want anyone to notice your body parts, right? And so you intentionally, or you have a pattern or you um, select clothing that you, that you believe consciously or unconsciously will keep eyes off of you. Right. Um, so it's like that's a way to reject your sexuality. Another way is that uh, if you just lack interest uh, or resist entrance, interest in sexuality. So you um, are afraid if you start to notice yourself having any feelings of intimacy because we don't we don't get to act on our feelings of intimacy, right? You may see someone beautiful on the screen or in your office or whatever. You don't get to just act because you, but when, but if you, if you can't ever notice or, or, or acknowledge any sense of, oh, that person's attractive or, or 
God forbid you should have a fantasy about someone. Some people think like uh, sexual fantasy is a sin, like, mm, and I'm not going to get into the religion aspect of that, but it's like you resist all these things, anything that connotes that you are a sexual human being, you intentionally resist that. There's probably some healing that could be done. Uh, and then the last one is if you are having intimacy by compliance instead of by consent. Now, you know, you can't just say that and not really compliance versus consent. Please, right? Please break that down for us. Okay. There are four rules of consent. And these are legal rules. They're not, I mean, now I'm not even going to get into sexual assault, that sort of stuff. But there, there are four rules of consent. And in order to be having consensual physical intimacy, all four of these rules have to be in play. Now, most people will tell you they only have consensual sex. And I go, how do you know that if you don't know the rules? I don't know why we don't know the rules to consens consensual um, uh, physical intimacy, but we should know them by heart so that we know that we're practicing them. I wish we would teach them intentionally so people would know that they are practicing them. So, um, so the first rule is that you have to give consent um, from the very beginning. Like people think consent is just, that's why I keep saying physical intimacy. People think consent is just when someone wants to interchange body parts or intersect body parts. If that's the only time you look for consent, you're too late. <laughs> you already are not playing by the rules. And so you have to ask for consent to intimately engage. And this is super important because it will solve a lot of the problems with people don't know. Because the way that, because uh, again, for people who think of themselves as sort of hunters in this pursuit of intimacy, often their, their, their uh, procedure is to, is to do the sneak attack, keep everything vague and ambiguous, right? And so if it's vague or ambiguous, I don't know when to give you my no. Because if I give you my no too early, you'll be like, nobody wasn't trying to get with you anyway. That's a huge, huge problem, right? So consent has to be, has to be requested from the time you know that you intentionally move from this is a friendly act to I'm trying to get you further and further down the line. There's a difference. So we could be we could be at an event and we could just be talking and joking. Um, but and, and you can have your hand on my leg, you can have your your arm around my neck. It's not a thing. I'm not paying you no attention. We just hanging out. We cool. The minute that arm around my shoulder is intended to get you further and further down the line, consent needs to be requested. That is my cue that something is happening. It is not supposed to be a sneak attack because when we do it that way, we're getting further and further from the likelihood that we're really going to get into and we're going to close the, 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 um, 
the orgasm gap, right? And so if your arm around me means that you are trying to get closer to me in pursuit of some physical um, intimacy, then you should ask, hey, is it okay if I put my arm around you? My arm around you, is that, is that okay? That lets me know how I should be thinking about this. It should not be something, and, and to the degree that you don't, are not asking those questions, uh, my assumption is that all of this is just a friendly gesture. That's how sometimes people get into, oh, you are teased, oh, you the, no, 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 no. You never ask that person, like, you know, I mean, so we have to be very clear if we're gonna play by rules of consent, they start up front. They don't start when you're about to do, do the deed. So ask up front. Secondly, you have to be, you, you cannot request consent from someone who cannot legally give it. So legal consent has to do with age. In some, in some states is 16, in some states is 17, some states is as low as 14. And so uh, know your legal limit. People, you, it has to be, you have to be legally able to, to offer consent in order to request it, right? And so um, someone who is intoxicated, too intoxicated to drive or sign a legal document, then they cannot offer you their consent. Someone who is mentally challenged and you're not cannot offer you their consent. And so they have to be able to offer you consent. Number three, that consent has to be updated with every move. Can I put my arm around your neck? Oh, can I hold your hand? Oh, can I? All this sounds boring, and it is if you're just reading a sentence. But when we learn how to infuse consent, it won't sound so awkward. The reason it sounds so awkward is because people have, people have taken liberty with, with women's bodies for so long that consent sounds awful. So here's my little tip. If it's not a move that you would do to another, to someone, if it's not a move you would like to have done to you by, for example, a gay man, if you're a man and you're not gay, if you're, if, then don't do that move to a woman just because she's straight. If you're doing something that you will punch a man in the face for if they did it to you, then you should not do that to a woman without consent. This idea that it's a compliment because it's a woman just doesn't make sense. Bodily autonomy is bodily autonomy. If you would, if you would be outraged at someone doing this to you who was who was not your sexual preference, then you shouldn't do it to someone just because they are your sexual preference. Okay, so that's the rule. So ever so in every in every instance, you have to keep asking consent, keep asking consent, keep asking consent. Even if you are intimately engaged and you switch up what that engagement looked like, a position, a room, or whatever. You have to still whisper, is this okay? Are we still good? You are right. You learn how to put those in there. You learn it because you learn it out of respect for the person, right? But if you, to the degree that you 
are taking something because you don't see this person as worthy of bodily autonomy. Yeah, those things sound really awkward. What I need to ask a woman for something for? I ain't asking her for no money. I ain't asking her for this. I don't, I don't need to ask her for her permission for anything. Not true. And the same goes for how women interact with men. I don't want to give the impression that women never violate rules of consent for men. Oh, because they do, but certainly not to the same degree. So, so that's one. And then the last rule, the last rule is, ugh, it's a challenge. The last rule is that you have to have consent for the level of protection, even if that level of protection is no level of protection. You have to have consent for it. You must have consent for the level of protection against unwanted consequences. Did you ask what type of what what type of protection are we using today for this time? There should be some conversation about that on both ends. And and sometimes it quite frankly is a level of is a is a is one of the ways that women sometimes violate consent rules because they leave the impression that they're using protection that they're not. So like I said, it, men are not the only ones who violate consent, but we also know what the, what, that the stats are highly in favor of men being more likely to, um, to violate consent. So those are the rules of consent. When we play by them, people are much less likely to get hurt. That's all we're saying. People are less likely to get hurt and people are much less, are, are much more likely to experience pleasure. So, so those are the ways that, those are the cues that people may be in need of sexual healing. Yes, thank you so much for that, that detailed explanation. Um, so the other thing that I wanted to ask here is if we don't heal our sexual energy, then what are the consequences? How does this manifest in other areas of our life if it does at all? Uh, it depends, of course. My favorite answer, it depends. We had to get at least one. It depends to one question today. So it depends. Uh, but it could show up in some ways. So to the degree that you, for example, are having compliance and not consensual. So compliance, com compliance means I'm going along with it. Consent means, yes, I'm good. Let's do this, right? Compliance, so we comply with the law. We comply because we think there's gonna be consequences. We comply because we don't want to be hurt. So we comply. That's not, this, that's so, when we are having compliant sex, that's, that's um, it, it can be demoralizing, right? And it can take away our confidence in other areas. It can make us feel less secure about ourselves because that's energy that has escaped us. We've missed opportunities, right? And so it can show up sometimes. Sometimes it shows up, for example, uh, in, in women's relationships with their children. So when they feel um, this overbearing relationship in the bedroom, they somehow then have to regain, try, attempt to regain that power 
in their relationships with their children. Sometimes they try to regain it in their relationship with their friends. So they lose relationship here, they look to gain it somewhere else. So that could be problematic, right? Um, also, like I said before, we don't, we don't want to pass down this generational trauma of bodily autonomy to the next generation of boys and girls stuck in outdated gender roles that have never been really been good for us or certainly have, have um, out, outgrown their utility in the world, right? And then we miss out on health benefits. There are health benefits to having quality physical intimacy. We get that oxytocin stuff. We have lower blood pressure. Uh, research shows it relieves stress. So there are health benefits, quite frankly, that we just don't get. And so it can show up in a, in a number of ways. And then I'm thinking like when you talked about joy, you know, this expectation of joy, you know, when it comes to physical intimacy, I would also think that if we look for it there, we would also be looking forward to other aspects of our life as well, other areas. Right. I've never seen it where someone enhance their, their physical intimacy by communication, getting their knees met, both people experiencing um, the, the ultimate uh, in those relationships. I've never seen people improve in that area and not improve in other areas of their relationship. Generally, what we see in the bedroom, also we see in the kitchen, in the, in, in the outdoors, in the work, you know, we see it in other places. So when things are not going well, uh, when people are losing power in, in their intimate uh, situations, you see it, you just, it shows up. It shows up in, uh, in other ways. So other relationships, power is power. And people are always looking for some sense of control, power, steadiness. And every time we lose it in one place, we go looking for it in another place, which is why I'm going to say this. And I'm going to, oh, I'm going to try to say this gently, which is why so many men cling to looking for in the bedroom because they lose it at work. They lose it with their buddies. They lose it through education. And they go looking for in the one place they feel like they have a right to take it. Mm, that was deep. That is definitely a rewind. <laughs> it was definitely a rewind moment right there. I want to just, and I know we are running out of time, and this question is probably much larger than the scope of this conversation right here. But when you were talking about how a lot of us hide our sexuality, right, and how we can begin to kind of come out of that, right, I'm thinking how much harder that may be for those of us who have been sexually abused. Yes. Yeah. So how do we ease into that? Because of course we are trying to protect because we've been violated. Right. When I'm working with, um, with survivors, one of the things I recommend um, for a while, not that it has to stay this way, but for a while, uh, when they're trying to be active in healing their sexual energy, 
is to only engage in physical intimacy when they want to. That's so important. And they're like, what if I don't want? Then don't, don't wait till you are the one who can initiate it. And so what I say is they have to wait until their body feels like, or their mentally feel like this is something I want. Because oftentimes when the experience is sexual abuse in the past, and that kicks in as a survival method, we become so detached from the body that you don't even know what you want and what you don't want. You just, you just, you're so, you, 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 you rely on someone else's needs or desire and every, a lot of things can get really convoluted. So when you're trying to heal that and say, take time and figure out what, how your body feels and what it wants. So when your body desires that, then the next step is to figure out how you, what actions you take in, in, in having that delivered to you, whether that's you're doing it yourself or whether that if you have a partner, but even when you, when, when you have a partner, what your responsibility is to lead and not follow, lead. And, and hopefully this requires a lot of emotional intimacy and a lot of trust. Here's the problem I run into when survivors are trying to heal their sexual selves. They have chosen partners through trauma bonding. And so oftentimes when survivors start trying to heal their sexual selves, it begins to create a lot of conflict in their relationships. That's why I said what's happening in the bedroom is probably happening in other areas too, because under no circumstances should it be that if I'm trying to heal something and I say, wait, stop, I need time, whatever, should that be taken as an offense to somebody? But when we have trauma bonded or we have entered into these relationships based on fear of something, we often, when we're trying to heal it, then we run into more conflict because when we have no boundaries, it benefits people. So when we start putting boundaries around, around physical intimacy, people don't like, you know, the partner may not like it. They may not like it. And so then we got to go back and start figuring out, well, where, what do we need to heal before we, <laughs> before we heal that, right? <laughs> right? Um, so, that, so that the survivor feels more comfortable in asserting themselves. Oh, thank you for that. You know, just listening uh, to this, you know, what you were saying this whole time, you know, it just seems like also there, this is, first of all, like we talk about grown folks, like real hard grown folks, physical intimacy, right? Where we're actually communicating and communicating before anything is happening, you know, before, you know, uh, before we even really make our intentions fully known, right? That communication has to be right there to make it known, right? right. Okay. Um, and I can see how this will probably be uh, difficult for a lot of couples and people who've been together for a long time to really mm -hmm. have these conversations about, you know, hey, 
uh, no, you touch me here, but I really would prefer for you to touch me here or right. do this, or I really want to, before this night is over, I really want to experience an orgasm. I can see how this conversation, how do you begin? Because some people, you know, their sex life has been one way for years. So now how do you get, how do people then get to this place where they can have this conversation without um the other person feeling like oh my god all this time like you really you know you really didn't like it. you know what i'm saying right. without the other person taking any type of offense not that we can control that but i think you know where i'm going with this right but that's what i mean like there has to be some emotional intimacy there right and so something else may need to be healed before that conversation can even take place so that the survivor can have that conversation in confidence with themselves, right? And so, so, but in a, in a, this is what I mean about I feel sorry for men who have never experienced this 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 feeling with the woman, right? I feel sorry for men. I feel sorry for men who um, who have only known women as pleasure givers and never ex and never experienced the pleasure of a woman's pleasure. I feel sorry for men who never experienced that because they're really missing out. And so if you're in this healing process and there's the there's some emotional intimacy that you're working on, those conversations then you probably you're having conversations before you have the conversation about the intimacy, like that may be level three conversation, right? Not, you might have to first have conversations about who's doing all the housework, right? Or, or what do we do when the games are wrong? or other conversations it may have to lead into that. But, but when, when people love each other, not just are with each other because that's what they committed to do 20 years ago, but when people when people love each other and become responsible for one another's pleasure, like that is, that, that can be your, that should be your partner's joy. Like for someone to get upset with you because you ask for pleasure when they're, when they're asking for pleasure, it's different if you're saying, no, I want pleasure and you're not going to have one, which is what has typically been, but we can't agree on how we can both have pleasure, then there's some other problems happening in that relationship is what I'm going to say. There's some other problems happening. Because like, oh, I'm sorry. one more thing, because when they do research, actually, when they do research and they ask men this question, overwhelmingly men say, please tell us, Lord Jesus, please tell us what you want because we can't figure it out, <laughs> right? Men actually say, they claim at least, that they prefer that women communicate with them more about what about their pleasure. Well, that that's really that's really interesting to know. Um, one of the things that you've been talking about in, in this later part is emotional intimacy. And so it's like that's a serious, seems like that is a real serious requirement of healing any type of sexual energy is that there has to be a certain level of emotional. Yeah. Right. And that's difficult, particularly for survivors, 
who often live detached from their bodies. So if you are not having a, an emotional relationship with your own body, it may be difficult to transfer that to a partner. So before you do all that good stuff in pursuit, you have to first get back in your body and experience your body, right? You have to first make sure you're in your body. Do you look in a mirror and just look at yourself? Do you look in a mirror and look at yourself naked? Do you look in a mirror when you walk down the street? Do you care how your clothes look on you? Do you shop for pretty things? Do you, do you, do you um, ask people advice about how you look or, and not, not, not to get, not because you need that external affirmation, but to just to say, oh, I care. Do you change your, do you change the way you look every now and again? Or do you just use your body to get you from one meeting to the next? Do you, do you engage in physical activity so you know when your body is tired? Do you know when your body is hungry or do you just eat because you have 30 minutes for lunch between 12 o'clock and 12.30? Get back in your body. Get in your body so that when you are sharing this thing with someone else, you have an idea of what that's going to feel like. You have an expectation of pleasure because you live on a daily basis paying attention to how you give yourself pleasure. Again, if you never give yourself pleasure through food, through clothing, through makeup, through exercise, through entertainment, when was the last time you heard yourself laugh? Do you smile when you take pictures? When was the last time you took a picture? I mean, there. so if you are constantly detached from your own body, then it's gonna be difficult to even show up in your body when it's time for intimacy. You know, I am so, I, I'm so glad uh, to hear you say that, you know, I, about being in your body. I remember years ago, and I think at this point, I've already mentioned that I am a survivor, child, a survivor of child sexual abuse. Um, I remember years ago, I was going to get a massage and because <laughs> I just constantly stayed tense because I was always hypervigilant, right? And I remember I had this wonderful massage therapist and you know, she started at the top and everything. And then when she got below my waist and she was doing like, she was massaging, you know, my legs and that, she said, you, do you know that you're not in your body? She was like, you're in your body at the top. She was like, you're there. She's like, but you're not in your body down here. And I had never heard anything like that before in my life. I didn't know what the heck she was talking about. And I guess she realized and she was like, do you really, uh, do you understand what I mean? You know, when I'm saying that you're not in your body and there was a part of me that got it, but there was another part of me that was like, no, I really don't. And she was like, you have to really get back in your body. And you know, after a while, that started a series of me getting body work and doing things like Feldenkrais and stuff that are those modalities that are designed for people to really pay attention to their body. But she was right. And I didn't realize how white she was until many years later where I had to get a hip replacement and I was so, both my hips replaced, and I was so detached from that part of my body that I didn't even realize till I could barely walk, right? Wow. That yeah, I wow. had all, all of this, um, it, all of these issues with mobility that it was decreasing. 
right? That's how out of the body I have been, right? So I'm so glad that you brought this up, you know, about people not being in their bodies. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's important. It's important. Now that's that's something we should have had a specific conversation on, getting back in your body. Getting back in your body, yes. Well, there's always 2023. That's my problem. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that really, that's 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 a serious conversation because mm-hmm. I'm thinking I'm not the only one. You know, when you're going through things sometimes, you think, oh, I'm the only one that's been. And I know there's a lot of folks that are not in their body. Yeah, absolutely. 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 Yeah. And you can't tell just by the way someone dressed. Cause there's some people around here wearing next to nothing and who, who aren't even in their bodies. It's like you showing all that off. Cause you ain't there. There's some of them that's covering it all up. Like you covering it all up. Cause you ain't there. Right. <laughs> so you can't even, it's not a matter of how people look, whatever. It's like, there's a lot of people walking around. Um, we're not there. Yeah. Well, as always, this has really been a really useful, helpful and intense, you know, conversation, yeah. but a very good one and one that I know a lot of people really needed to have. So thank you again. And this has been a wonderful year's journey yes, with it you, has. Dr. Zakari. You know, we just all Ooh. feel so blessed to have you. Thank you so much. And I know the thank people you. who have been joining us for the lives um for the live sessions you know when we get into it i know you've gotten so much out of it we've heard from a lot of you about how impactful this has been and the changes that you know you're seeing in your life so this is great we're hoping you will join us and bring your friend next year 2023 for this thank you so much dr bakari this is this has been amazing